one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, this is A History of Europe, Key Battles podcast, and it's the seventh and final part on the Thirty Years' War. On the 6th of September, 1634, at the Battle of Nordlingen, the Swedish army suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of the Imperial Army. Up until the fateful Battle of Lützen four years before, the Swedes and their Protestant allies had swept victoriously across Central Europe. But everything changed in Lützen with the death of their king, Gustavus Adolphus. The reins of power in Stockholm were taken up by the chief minister, Axel Ochsensteiner, who wanted to extricate his forces from Central and Southern Germany, but on terms where he could retain as much of the gains in Northern Germany as possible especially along the Baltic coastline. The news of the Swedish defeat at Nordlingen was a shock to the chief minister in France, Cardinal Richelieu. He immediately realised the danger that France faced if the Habsburgs swept the Swedes away completely and advised the king that the time for covert war was over. France was actively engaged militarily to protect themselves and re-establish the balance of power in Germany. Having said that, France's finances were in poor shape, as were her army, so she needed a few months to prepare for open war. French diplomatic efforts were stepped up across Europe. On the 8th of February 1635, a Franco-Dutch alliance was concluded, providing for a joint invasion of the Spanish Netherlands. This was followed on 28th of April by a new treaty with the Swedes at Compiègne. And in May, French diplomats prevailed upon the Polish government to reconfirm the truce of Altmark with Sweden. Fighting continued meanwhile in the Empire. The principal Swedish army under the command of Field Marshal Johann Banner tried unsuccessfully to reach Bohemia. And Bernard of Weimar, one of the best commanders on the Protestant side tried to check the westward advance of the imperial armies. For a time, he managed to hold the Rhine between Mannheim and Mainz, but in January the imperialists overran Philipsburg and the Spaniards captured Trier. The French garrisons in nearby Lorraine and Alsace were put on high alert. When the French army made their first move, it was against their principal enemy, the Spanish, against whom Louis XIII declared war on 19th of May 1636. They defeated a Spanish force at the town of Les Avines, near Liège, 
where the local people were provoked by the barbaric behaviour of the French troops. Desertion and disease took their toll, and the force had to be disbanded when discipline broke down. Meanwhile, a campaign to conquer Milan petered out before it began, when the French failed to enlist the cooperation of the Italian states. The war was also going badly for France and Germany, where the electors of Saxony and Brandenburg both allied with the Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand II. All that survived of the anti-Habsburg coalition, over which Gustavus Adolphus had once presided, was a handful of minor princes. Some were fugitives, others disposed of only a few troops. France subsidised one of the princes, Bernard of Weimar, and offered him the Alsatian lands of the Habsburgs, as an incentive against the imperialists. In 1636, Emperor Ferdinand II, whose position in Germany had strengthened since showing up support of German princes in the Peace of Prague, ordered an invasion of eastern France in a coordinated attack with the Spanish Netherlands and Bavaria. The governor of the Spanish Netherlands, Don Fernando of Austria, besieged the French fortress of Corby on River Somme, which guarded the approach to Paris from the north. During the nine-day siege of Corby, panic spread to the French capital. Many Parisians fled south, but King Louis III stood firm. He appealed to the municipal government, merchants and artisans for funds to raise and maintain troops. All unemployed men who were capable of bearing arms were urged to volunteer for military service, and eventually an army of 30,000 men was assembled to defend Paris. On the 1st of September, Louis set out to reconquer the towns of northern France that had fallen to the enemy. Don Fernando, disappointed at the lack of support from his allies, decided to withdraw in the face of the French counter-offensive, and on the 14th of November, Corby was recaptured by the French. In Burgundy, meanwhile, the imperial army was held up by a stoic defence from the little town of Saint-Jean-de-Loin. The year 1636 was long remembered in France as the Year of Corby. The potential threat to Paris galvanised the French into desperate measures. Before the French army had stood around 20,000 men, occasionally more in times of need. By the late 1630s, as a result of press-ganging, call-ups and the purchase of foreign mercenary forces, nearly 100,000 men were in the field. Numbers continued to grow, with army strength reaching a quarter of a million men after the 1650s. This drastic change in army size was enabled by a shift towards centralised and bureaucratic government in France. France's allies enjoyed better success that year. Most significantly, on the 24th of September, at the Battle of Wittstock, a Swedish Allied army commanded by Johann Bernier decisively defeated a combined Imperial Saxon army with the elector John George. The victory was a much-needed morale boost for the Protestants, just when they looked on the ropes. Bernier built on this success by then driving through Thuringia in central Germany and continuing into Saxony, where he captured the town of Torgau in February. Another blow for the Empire that year was the death of Emperor Ferdinand II, who before he died successfully ensured the election of his son as Ferdinand III. In many ways Ferdinand had achieved many of his objectives as Emperor. Bohemia and Austria had never been so obedient to the Habsburgs, 
and the influence of Protestantism throughout the empire had been substantially reduced. No emperor had so dominated events since the reign of Charles V, early in the 16th century. His actions, on the other hand, had helped trigger violence on a massive scale across Central Europe, causing many hundreds of thousands of deaths and misery for many more. Ferdinand III, though educated by Jesuits, was more moderate than his father. He shared the conviction that the family fortunes depended on keeping their hereditary lands free from heresy and the desire to protect the dynasty's gains in his Austrian homeland. But he was more flexible towards the empire, ready to prioritise traditional rights over imposing confessional goals. The Swedish government renewed its alliance with France in March 1638 with the Treaty of Hamburg. This committed France to declare war on the Emperor. The Allies agreed to combine their offensives, Sweden and Saxony, and France and Upper Germany. The balance of the war was tilting in favour of the French and Swedes, in particular against Spain. In October 1637, the Dutch recaptured the city of Breda, which forced Spain to move some of her troops out of Germany to help in the Netherlands. Taking advantage of their departure, Bernard of Weimar advanced along the Rhine. After capturing Rheinfelden, he laid siege to the strategic fortress of Breissach. Its capture in December deprived Spain of two vital military corridors, one into the Empire, the other to Flanders. Bernard, though only 34, was of deteriorating health and died in 1639. After the loss of Brissac, Spain depended more on her navy for her lines of communication. In 1639, a powerful armada was prepared in the port of La Coruña, with troop reinforcements and brilliant for Flanders. 29 warships were assembled in four squadrons, soon joined by an additional 22 warships from the Spanish Mediterranean fleet. It was not quite as large as the famous armada, which sailed to England in 1588, but its firepower was greater. The Dutch learned that the Spanish fleet might attempt to make for the anchorage known as the Downs off the English coast between Dover and Deal, and attempted to blockade them. In the resulting naval encounter, called the Battle of the Downs on the 21st of October, they inflicted a heavy defeat on the Spanish fleet. The Dutch victory marked a significant moment in the shifting balance of naval power. Of the Spanish ships that succeeded in breaking through the blockade, many were severely damaged. Spain, straining under the vast commitments of the Thirty Years' War, was in no position to rebuild its naval dominance, and was forced back onto the defensive everywhere. Spain was also suffering severe domestic problems, and in 1640, two major revolts broke out in the Iberian Peninsula, one in Catalonia and the other in Portugal. Louis XIII and Richelieu took full advantage and organised a new campaign aimed at capturing Perpignan on the French-Spanish border. Its surrender to the French in 1642 was a devastating blow to Spanish morale.
Sweden's main military stronghold remained on the North German coastline in Pomerania, from where its armies launched a series of offensives against Saxony and Bohemia. On the death of Field Marshal Johann Banner, Oxenstierna appointed as commander of the Swedish forces Lennart Torstensson, who had been general of artillery under Gustavus Adolphus. He arrived in November 1641 with 7,000 fresh recruits and went on the offensive in the next spring. Heading east, he defeated the Elector of Saxony's forces at Schweidnitz, then southeast into Moravia, taking the capital Olmutz in 1642. Torstensen fortified Olmutz, which served as the base for the Swedish campaign for the remainder of the war. Emperor Ferdinand III responded by sending a large force, which forced Torstensen to fall back to Silesia. The Imperial Army caught up with the Swedes at Leipzig on the 2nd of November 1642. Torstensen was outnumbered and retreated to Breitenfeld, the site, in 1631 of the Protestants' first major victory of the war. In the Second Battle of Breitenfeld, 1642, while the Habsburg army were assembling their ranks, Torstensen led the charge in the face of heavy cannon fire. He succeeded in breaking the Imperial lines and engulfing the remainder of the Imperial army. It was another victory for the Swedes, who killed 5,000 Imperialist troops and captured another 5,000. Swedish losses were 2,000 killed and 2,000 seriously wounded. Meanwhile, heavy fighting continued between the French and Spanish. On the 4th of December 1642, Cardinal Richelieu passed away. Soon after, in the early spring of 1643, King Louis XIII fell ill and died on the 14th of April 1643, leaving his four-year-old son, Louis XIV, to inherit the kingdom. Cardinal Richelieu's tenure was a crucial period of reform for France, a transition from feudalism to a more centralised political structure, with officers employed to do the ruler's bidding. Richelieu undoubtedly had great qualities. He was intelligent, resourceful and politically adept, but he also had less savoury qualities. He was also ruthless, grasping and vindictive. He is notable for the authoritarian measures he employed to maintain power, the censorship of the press, a network of internal spies, and the closing down of political debates in public assemblies. Looking ahead, his period is seen as a stepping stone towards the absolutist style of rule of King Louis XIV. Louis would rule for over 72 years and become the most powerful monarch in Europe, sometimes known as the Sun King. In the place of Richelieu as head of government, stepped Cardinal Jules Mazarin, who continued a similar foreign policy, maintaining French military pressure on Franche-Comté, Catalonia and Spanish Flanders. In May 1643, Spanish troops advanced to and besieged Rocroi, a fortress town in the Ardennes garrisoned by a few hundred French. Both France and Spain sent forces to try and control the fortress, triggering the Battle of Rocroi on the 19th of May. 
the French commander, Louis, Prince of Condé, surprised the Spanish commander, Melos, with a superior force of some 23,000 men. He isolated the Spanish infantry force, inflicting enormous damage on it. 8,000 were killed, and nearly 7,000 were taken prisoner, while the French lost some 2,000. The successful show of strength was important for France. At home it was seen as a good omen for the new king's reign, and secured the power of the regent queen and newly appointed Cardinal Mazarin. And abroad it showed that France remained as strong as before, despite its king being only four years old. The French, however, didn't have it all their way in 1643, as they suffered a heavy loss against the Bavarian army in Tutlingen in Baden-Württemberg on the 24th of November. The next year they then regained the initiative with the capture of Mainz and Philipsburg in September 1644. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ferdinand III made moves towards trying to find a final peace. Already in 1640, he had called to Regensburg, the first imperial diet since 1613, with the intention of discussing a strategy for peace in Europe. The main proposal was for an international peace congress, with both princes and the other heads of imperial territories and also non-German governments, including Sweden, France, the Dutch Republic, and Spain as full participants. The Diet sent a message to Queen Christina of Sweden inviting her to an international congress and inviting her to nominate its location. The Swedish government, after consulting with its French ally, replied positively. They suggested that the conference take place in two places – Munster, where representatives of the Emperor and the Catholic States would meet, and Osnabrück, where imperial representatives would gather with those of the Protestant princes. The Diet accepted the plan, and the Congress opened quietly in 1643. While its complex structures were being put in place, war continued as each side fought the most favourable military positions from which to negotiate. From 1643 to 1645, the Swedes were occupied with the War of Denmark, the so-called Torstensen War. 
King Christian IV of Denmark had been looking for means to recover his losses in the earlier phase of the Thirty Years' War, raising the amounts demanded for ships passing through the sounds and trying to get control of Hamburg. In 1643, he was openly seeking a new coalition against Sweden. This was prevented by a swift, preemptive strike by the Swedish army into Jutland. The decisive moment came when the Dutch sent its fleet to the Baltic to help the Swedes. In the Treaty of Bromsebo in 1645, which concluded the war, Denmark was forced to make significant concessions. It ceded the islands of Gotland and Urzen, and two Danish-Norwegian provinces to Sweden and agreed to exempt Sweden from the Sound Jews. The Dutch, English and French also took advantage to force reductions on the Jews for their shipping too. It was another step to Sweden taking over from Denmark as the dominant power of the Baltic Sea. Nearly three decades of warfare in Germany had taken a heavy toll on the local population, especially given the armies had got used to maintaining themselves by living off the land. Almost nowhere had escaped damage, although some parts were more affected than others. The last years of the Thirty Years' War, writes Richard Bonney, were, quote, characterised by the capture of fixed points to guard road routes and river crossings, and also as centres from which the surrounding area could be foraged for supplies. Raiding parties deployed for this purpose were mobile mounted units. As the main task of these light troops moved from reconnaissance of the enemy to tracking down food supplies and seizing enemy convoys, their discipline slackened. The prospect of looting without punishment led not only to scattered troops but also convicted soldiers and armed desperados to make war on their account as freebooters. End quote. In early 1645, Torstensen was back in Germany and made a move to recover parts of Bohemia and Moravia lost during the War of Denmark. His army advanced through Budweis and Pilsen towards Tabor in Moravia. A combined Imperial Bavarian army caught up with their enemy at the town of Jankov. Near Tabor, and on the 6th of March, battle commenced. At the Battle of Jankov, the forces were nearly even, with about 15,000 soldiers each. The Swedish army was actually almost completely made up of German units commanded by German and Swedish officers. The only native Swedish troops were 500 Swedish and Finnish infantry and the majority of the artillerymen. The Swedish army moved through woodland and managed to capture the high ground. From there they fired their cannon against the Imperial cavalry, who suffered heavy losses. The Imperialist army suffered a crushing defeat, losing half their forces. In a show of strength, the Swedish army headed to Vienna at the end of 1645 and approached within 30 miles of the Austrian capital. Emperor Ferdinand III hurriedly fled to Graz, but Torstensen decided instead to besiege the city of Bernau to try and secure the conquest of Moravia. Bernau resisted for more than five months, giving the imperial forces in Austria time to regroup. The Swedish military campaign in the west was less successful. 
On the 2nd of May, 1645, a Swedish contingent of 10,000 was caught by surprise by a Bavarian army. All infantry and most cavalry were lost, so the original army was reduced to a fleeing column of 1,500 cavalry. Mazarin sent Louis, Prince of Condé, to help, and their united forces met the Bavarians at the Second Battle of Nordlingen, 1645. In a hard-fought battle, both sides lost some 4,000 men. The amount of fighting was reduced in the last couple of years, as diplomatic efforts ramped up to find a peaceful solution. In the last campaigning season of the war, in 1648, a Swedish and French army combined under the command of Carl Gustav Wrangel of Sweden and the Marshal of France, Henri de la Tour d'Auvan, nicknamed Turenne, who in his long career would earn himself a reputation as an exceptional general. Together they defeated an imperial Bavarian army at the Battle of Zuzmarhausen near Augsburg. Low-level fighting continued until... November 1648, when news arrived that peace had been declared. Work had begun on the Peace Congress as early as 1643, but it was not until 1645 when major delegates arrived at the two locations, Munster and Osnabrück, and negotiations could get fully underway. This was the largest international congress ever attempted in Europe, and there were no obvious presidents to which delegates could turn for guidance. Although most of the Catholic delegates went to Münster and Protestants to Osnabrück, the confessional division was not followed to the letter. Negotiations were not able to be concluded while at least one of the sides believed they were able to make gains on the battlefield to help strengthen their negotiating position. And it was increasingly clear to the imperial advisers that Emperor Ferdinand III's position was weak because the Swedish armies were able to march at will across Habsburg hereditary lands. On the 24th of October 1648, peace terms were signed simultaneously in Münster and Osnabrück, the two texts comprising together the Peace of Westphalia. At first, Swedish demands had been so excessive that they prevented any hope of a settlement. But gradually they were moderated and Sweden was left with a highly favourable outcome, most significantly Western Pomerania, which was by far the most important part of the coastal duchy of Pomerania, and contained the ports of Stettin and Stralesund. In return for giving up eastern Pomerania, Sweden received the secularised bishoprics of Bremen and Verden, and the Mecklenburg ports of Wismar and Warnemunde. Together with her gains three years ago from Denmark, Sweden's preeminent position in the Baltic was confirmed, and Bremen gave her a port on the North Sea. The German acquisitions automatically made the ruler of Sweden a prince of the Holy Roman Empire, with the right to participate in meetings of the Imperial Diet. At the same time, the Swedes negotiated a good agreement for themselves on war debts. Their garrison could stay in Germany for the next three years until the empire 
raised the money to settle outstanding claims for compensation. For the first time in half a century, Sweden was at peace. Sweden's ally, France, also acquired territory at the expense of the empire. The principal concern of Richelieu and his successor as chief minister, Mazarin, was to ensure the security of France's northeastern frontier. At Westphalia, they secured the annexation of the bishoprics of Metz, Toul and Verdun, parts of Alsace and the fortresses of Brissac and Philipsburg. As for the other territorial changes, Elector John George of Saxony retained Lusatia. The eldest son of Frederick V, Karl Ludwig, was restored to the Lower Palatinate, and an eighth electoral title was created for his benefit. Maximilian of Bavaria retained the electoral title he had confiscated from Frederick V, in possession of the Upper Palatinate. Elector Frederick William of Brandenburg kept Eastern Pomerania, but resented the loss of Western Pomerania to the Swedes, and spent the rest of his long reign trying to undo this. Emperor Ferdinand III was more able to accept the concessions in Germany, because in his Austrian and Bohemian homelands, the powers of the Emperor had been strengthened during the war. Their administration had been centralised and religious conformity established. Ferdinand was recognised as the hereditary sovereign of Bohemia, Moravia and Silesia, and so overall in a much stronger position than his not-too-distant predecessors, Rudolf and Matthias. The treaties also ended the Eighty Years' War, 1568-1648, between Spain and the Dutch Republic, with Spain formally recognising the independence of the United Provinces. The Spanish had spent 80 years and a fortune trying to subdue the rebel United Dutch provinces, but ultimately in vain, and in the process had virtually bankrupted themselves. As for the religious settlement, agreed, there were three main strands. Firstly, the emperor issued a general armistice to all princes, and formally repealed the Edict of Restitution. Secondly, although the religion of each imperial territory would continue to be decided by its head, those subjects who were of a different religion could not be deprived of their right to freedom of worship. This particular agreement was less an expression of a spirit of religious toleration than a pragmatic acceptance that a prince had to be paid in the interests of social stability. And thirdly, Calvinism was granted recognition and the status on the same basis of Lutheranism. Pope Innocent X denounced the concessions to Protestantism in the Treaty of Westphalia, for he realised it brought an end to the possibility of a single Christendom unified under Catholicism. Early historians, argues David Mallon, in his book Europe in the 17th Century, have tended to exaggerate the importance of the Thirty Years' War. Quote, the war and the peace treaty, they claimed, marked the end of an epoch, paved the way for the greatness of France, discredited the emperor's authority in Germany, replaced religious standards in public life by those of secular self-interest, 
ruin the economies of the German states? All these claims did contain some elements of truth, but it would be wrong to suppose that these developments were necessary consequences of the war. End quote. The empire remained, as it had been, an untidy collection of autonomous states, some Catholic, some Protestant. The Catholic powers were unable to achieve their objective of recovering the lands secularised since 1559, and the Swedes were unable, on their part, to assume control of destinies of German Protestants. In the end, a balance across the various interests was achieved. As peace treaties of the time went, the Peace of Westphalia held up reasonably well over time. But it didn't solve the ongoing war between France and Spain, and it wouldn't take very long before conflict raised its ugly head again across the continent. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe, Key Battles and the Thirty Years' War. If you enjoy the podcast, perhaps think about giving it a review on iTunes. Remember, you can look up the podcast in Facebook or on Twitter. The handle is at History Europe KB. KB for Key Battles. You can write to me directly, carl at historyeurope.net. And if you'd like to become a patron of the podcast, please go to www.patreon.com stroke history europe where for just $3 a month you'll be able to gain access to some extra episodes and for the normal episodes listen to them a week in advance. When I'm back I'll be covering the English Civil War so I hope you can join me then. The piece of music I will leave you with is by Claudio Monteverdi. It's called Lamento della Ninfa, or Lament of the Nymph, and is one of the most famous madrigals by Monteverdi. It is part of the Eight Madrigal Book, a compilation from 1638, dedicated to Emperor Ferdinand III. I hope you enjoy and can join me again next time.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.